kings and prophets. Sounds dramatic enough. Last Sunday, I was on vacation, and weren't we so blessed by Stephanie Benton last week sharing her heart? We all have doubts, and so much of what she said resonated with me, and I know it resonated with many of you. Uh, it was just such a blessing. And today is the finale of our Kings and Prophets sermon series. Okay, we've looked at the wise King Solomon. We looked at the prophet who ran away in Elijah. We looked at the church intern, uh, the prophet Elisha. And today, we'll look at one of the last kings of Judah, King Hezekiah. Now, King Hezekiah is a big deal in the Bible. Actually, there are 11 chapters in the Bible dedicated to telling his story, okay? So if you have your Bibles, go to 2 Kings 18. It says this, In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Okay. God bless you. King Hezekiah follows a long line of really bad kings that led the nation into idolatry. And he takes the throne at age 25 and leads a massive revival for the nation. Second Chronicles goes into much more uh, detail about this revival, but we're given several details here in the book of Second Kings. The verbs used to describe what Hezekiah did to the idolatry of his nation were removed, smashed, cut down. Okay, this is what he did to the things that were placed above God in Israel. And even the little things, Hezekiah shatters the bronze snake made by Moses, the Nehushtan. Okay, God bless you. Okay, you see, hundreds of years earlier, God told Moses to make a bronze snake. And when disease broke out among the Israelites, whoever looked at the snake was healed. I know, it's weird. But what was once used by God to bring healing to the people has now become an object of idolatry. Hezekiah smashes it to pieces. You see, it's usually good things that become idols. Okay? None of us are worshiping Asherah poles. None of us are sacrificing to Baal. But we all have idols nonetheless. Okay, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament says this, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Hebrews says to throw off all these things. Okay, sin, yes, of course, throw off sin, yes. But there's another thing mentioned that we're supposed to throw off that isn't sin, right? What's he say? He says, everything that hinders. So the Lord might be calling you to throw off something in your life, not because it's sinful, it, it probably isn't, but because it's hindering you. Is there something in your life that is hindering you? It's not sinful, it's not wrong, but it's hindering you from being all that God has called you to be, all that God desires you to be. 
Okay? Now, this next part in the passage of Hebrews, so that we can run the race marked out for us. Okay? This is a, it's a running metaphor. Okay? I like to run. Okay? But I'm no pro. Whenever you see professional runners, they're always wearing these shorts. Okay? These shorty shorts. Okay? That's not me. Uh, you never see a professional runner looking like Joey from Friends. Okay? When he puts on all of Chandler's clothes. Okay? You never see that. Why? Why do we not see runners wearing all of Chandler's clothes? Okay? It's because it weighs them down. It hinders them. This is what Hezekiah does for the nation of Judah. Let's continue the passage. Uh, chapter 18, verse 5. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given to Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. I love that, that he held fast to the Lord. Okay, the Hebrew word there for held fast is debak. It means to cling or cleave, keep close, stay close, stick together, closely pursue. When I think of debak, I think of inner tubing at Millerton Lake, okay? Inner tubing is that thing where it's super fun and then in three seconds, you think you're gonna die, okay? You go from uh, laughing and smiling to holding on for dear life. And as a youth pastor, okay, uh, we went on many a lake day, okay? I loved tubing. I prided myself on being the one who was able to hold on the longest. And there are times when you are outside the wake and you are using every ounce of strength in your being to hold on to that tube, veins are bulging out, okay? And you're then the next day, you are so sore, like really sore. Muscles you didn't even know that you had are hurting, okay? There's a, apparently there's a muscle underneath your armpit somewhere, okay? You're sore because you used every fiber of strength that you could muster. That is dabak, okay? Clinging with everything, holding fast, okay? This is what Hezekiah did unto the Lord. Do you cling to God through the mountains and the valleys of your life, dabak? Some of you are outside the wake right now and you're barely holding on. Keep going, don't let go. Hezekiah didn't let go. Now there's always going to be waves, there's always going to be adversity, Okay, this is certainly true for King Hezekiah as well. Look at verse 17. The king of Assyria sent his supreme commander. Okay, supreme commander, okay? This is like Star Wars, okay? His, his chief officer and field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. Now, obviously this is not Star Wars, but honestly, it would have felt like this to Hezekiah the kingdom of Assyria approaching Jerusalem would have been the most terrifying sight for the people of God. Uh, Assyria was a horrifying nation. At this time, they had been destroying walled city after walled city, including walled cities in Israel, brutally conquering anyone who opposed them, and then parading the lifeless bodies of their defeated foes on stakes. There are ancient drawings of these Assyrian conquerors with the heads and the bodies of their foes on stakes. The brutality and savage killing of the Assyrians sent shockwaves throughout the ancient world. 
the king of Assyria was Sennacherib, okay? And there are many legends about him, okay? Here is a photo of King Sennacherib of Assyria. He looks an awful lot like Emperor Palpatine from the Star Wars franchise, okay? This is a, a quote from the Assyrian victories. I flayed as many nobles as had rebelled against me and draped their skins over the pile of corpses. Some I spread out within the pile. Some I erected on stakes upon the pile. I flayed many right through my land and draped their skins over the walls. It was a real life horror film, much spookier than Halloween. Okay. Now this sermon is going live on the internet on October 30th, 2022, right before Halloween. Some of you are listening to it on Halloween. This is a real life horror film that happened 2,700 years ago. It was this army that surrounded Hezekiah in the city of Jerusalem. Brutal, savage, evil. It's hard to grasp the depths of the fear that came over Jerusalem because we're so far removed from it. But this is not just some random story in the Bible, okay? Lives were at stake. Fear was overwhelming. People were going to lose their families, and the evil army had surrounded the city. They have already destroyed many nations surrounding Judah. And then we read in chapter 19 that what this evil king writes to Hezekiah while surrounding them. Okay, look at verse 10. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? The gods of Gozan, Haran, Razeph, and the people of Eden who are in Tel Asar. Where is the king of Hamath or the king of Arpad? Where are the kings of Lair, Sepharim, Hena, and Eva? All of these people and places and kings that you've never heard of. Why have you never heard of them? Because they were wiped off the face of the planet by King Sennacherib of Assyria. And now Hezekiah is surrounded by this very army, the largest military force the world has ever seen. There is no escape. There is no way to win. He is hemmed in on every side. Hope seems lost. The enemy is too powerful. The circumstances too insurmountable. Anybody ever felt like that before? Like you're closed in on every side and like the things that assail you are much bigger than what you can withstand. What does Hezekiah do? What is he to do? Pray? Yes. Yes, and he, and he does pray, and we'll get there. But if we read this account and assume that all that Hezekiah did was pray, we are misled. Though prayer is the most important thing we can do, it is rarely the only thing we can do. Now, Hezekiah was aware that the king of Assyria would eventually attack. And in these 11 chapters about his life, we discover that he didn't just pray, he prepared his city and his people. He negotiated diplomatically and sacrificed gold in order to prevent war. He also dug a long tunnel through rock from a spring of the pool of Siloam to protect their water supply. He rebuilt existing walls, he reorganized his military, and he armed his people. He prayed, yes, but he didn't just pray. Now, I'm not trying to diminish the value of prayer. I'm trying to get rid of it as the excuse to do nothing. If you're in debt, pray. 
but also meet with some people that can help you develop a plan to save and to pay off what needs to be paid off. Okay? Cut back on the things that are luxuries so that you can devote more money to pay off bad debt. Okay? Your relationship is in shambles? Pray. Absolutely. But also get honest with your spouse. See a counselor. Do the things that you once did to fall in love. You struggle with addiction. Pray, yes, but also attend a meeting. Admit that you can't do it alone. Though prayer is the most important thing we can do, it is rarely the only thing we can do. Hezekiah did a lot, so can you. What is the Lord saying to you about your problems right now? What can you do beyond prayer? So Sennacherib sends his supreme commander to threaten and intimidate Hezekiah and the people of Israel. And it's kind of a cool story, okay? They arrive at the gates of Jerusalem and Hezekiah sends out his diplomats to speak to them, okay? Perhaps war can be averted through diplomacy. So the Assyrians then do something unexpected, okay? They start speaking to the Israelites in Hebrew instead of Aramaic which was the language of diplomacy. They both spoke Aramaic, but they all start speaking in Hebrew. Why? It's so that the soldiers on the wall and the people inside the walls could hear and understand. Who do you think you are? You're gonna trust Hezekiah? We'll defeat you and your God the way we defeated every city and every God before you. They spoke in Hebrew so that everybody could hear. You know what Hezekiah's diplomat said? They said, would it be possible for you to speak to us in Aramaic? We know Aramaic. No need to make a scene here. They respond with, not a chance. We want everyone in your nation to hear it. We will defeat you. So the meeting doesn't go well, okay? They go back to Hezekiah, and then they say, listen, it's worse than we thought, okay? They are going to annihilate us. And not only that, but they boasted about all of their victories in Hebrew so that the people inside the walls could hear, and now they're all talking about it. Everyone's terrified. What does Hezekiah do? He calls for Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah says, God's got you. Don't worry about it. For some, that's all we needed to hear right now. Just maybe that's the line God has for you in this sermon, this entire worship service. All you need to hear is God's got you. Don't worry about it. Sometimes God says that to us. Some of the most powerful moments of God speaking to me was those exact words. God's got you. Don't worry about it. Then the evil king Sennacherib writes a letter, okay? It's the last chance. It's one last chance for Hezekiah to avoid the fate of countless kings before him. No more diplomats. Nothing is going to get lost in translation. He writes to Hezekiah saying, this is it. Surrender now or your walled city will be completely destroyed. Let's read together the response of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. 
for they were not gods, but only wood and stone, fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. The text says that King Hezekiah spread it out before the Lord. The phrase spread it out before the Lord signifies loyal service to a master. So it was symbolic, but it was also literal. He grabbed this letter and he literally laid it out onto the ground before the Lord. He takes it. It's just, it's just God and Hezekiah. And he takes the letter and he spreads it out before the Lord. God, God. It's true that the Assyrians have conquered everyone before. It's true that they have surrounded us even now. Deliver us. Deliver us. It's a powerful scene. I wish I could have been there. The desperation, the longing, the tears, the, the glimpse of hope, the last glimpse of hope. We too have letters from King Sennacherib. We too have these struggles. We too have these issues that are walling us in. We too are surrounded. What's on your letter? What's closing in on you? What's on your letter? Is it a wayward child? Is it a bad health report? Is it issues in your marriage? Is it overwhelming financial strain? Take that to God. Spread it out before the Lord. Maybe some of you, just even now, whatever it is, write it down, go into your garage or your backyard or your closet or a room and spread it out before the Lord symbolically and literally and say, God, I'm spreading this out. Deliver me. And then in the middle of this prayer session with just Hezekiah and God, the prophet Isaiah shows up. And he declares, God heard your prayer. Not one Assyrian arrow will enter this city. Not one. That's what the prophet Isaiah says to Hezekiah. And then what does Hezekiah do? Does he go, hey, we're surrounded? We got to do this, we got to do this. What does Hezekiah do? He goes to bed. Okay? Sometimes that's the most spiritual thing that we can do. Sometimes going to bed is a sign of trust in God, okay? I trust you with this. I'm gonna get some shut-eye, okay? You're gonna be up all night anyway, so I'm, I'm going to sleep. I'm leaving it in your hands. Now, the quotes that I had read earlier about the violence of Sennacherib's victories were actual words written about him from the Assyrian annals. They're written on a six-sided prism buried in the foundation of the ancient Assyrian capital, Nineveh. In this six-sided column made of baked clay, which all six sides were covered with writing on every side, it was discovered in 1830, and it is one of the greatest archaeological discoveries of the last 300 years. And it describes the mighty victories of King Sennacherib of Assyria. The description begins by calling Sennacherib the favorite of the gods, a mighty man, a perfect hero, the man who consumes all his enemies with a thunderbolt, the man whom all kings fear. And amazingly, the prism describes Sennacherib attacking all of the cities of Judah. It even describes the way the Assyrian army surrounded Jerusalem, and it mentions Hezekiah by name. 
And strangely enough, it lines up perfectly with the account we find in 2 Kings. On the prism, Sennacherib's own writing, he declares, I surrounded Jerusalem and Hezekiah was caged like a bird. This is the picture we get in the scriptures. It tells of all these amazing battles and uh, cities that were destroyed by Sennacherib. And then when it gets to the siege of Jerusalem, Sennacherib says, Hezekiah is caged like a bird, but it never continues. You would think that it would say, so we, then we laid waste to Jerusalem and then we killed Hezekiah. It doesn't say that. It stops after they were surrounded. Assyrian propaganda doesn't tell us the ending of the story, but the Bible does. The Assyrian army goes to sleep that night and 185,000 of them never wake up. Some of these soldiers would wake up the next morning, they would try and shake the guy next to you, wake up, today we're gonna take Jerusalem. And the person was still. And the Assyrians in fear retreated. They abandoned their siege. God miraculously intervenes and saves Hezekiah and Jerusalem. And modern archeological discoveries attest to the mysterious withdrawal by the Assyrian forces. It really is quite remarkable. Now, I would love to tell you that after that event, after Hezekiah witnessed divine intervention, right after he spread it out before the Lord and God delivered Jerusalem, after Hezekiah experiences supernatural deliverance, that then he just always trusted in God and he never slipped up. But after some time, the supernatural wears off. The comfortable sets in again, okay? Hezekiah's wealth and the wealth and power of Jerusalem once again began to accumulate. And so one day in this season of peace and prosperity, some visitors, some dignitaries from a far off land called Babylon showed up at the gates of Jerusalem. And they are fancy. They're like, oh, we have come from a faraway land called Babylon. Oh, do show us the beauty of Jerusalem. Okay, I don't have a good British accent, but, and they weren't British, okay? But it feels like they were, okay? I feel like they were because they were fancy and, and Hezekiah is trying to impress them. He gives them the grand tour. He's like, over there, that's our great temple. And this is where we keep all of our treasures and gold. This is where we keep all of our chariots and horses. And they're like, oh, Hezekiah, this is brilliant. Absolutely smashing. Okay, then the tour is over. They have a cup of tea and some biscuits, perhaps some fish and chips. Okay, then they're waving goodbye. They're kind of pushing each other playfully. And as they sing goodbye, uh, then the prophet Isaiah walks in. And Isaiah says to Hezekiah, uh, who are they? Oh, those guys, <laughs> those chops. Oh, they're from Babylon. Isaiah says, well, what do they want? I was just, you know, showing them around, showing them all the wealth and the power that we have here in Jerusalem. And Isaiah says, that's Babylon. And it is Babylon, not Assyria, that will one day overthrow Jerusalem. They'll destroy this very city in the very temple that you just showed off. Notice, 
Not once in his chat, not once in his grand tour of Jerusalem did Hezekiah ever speak of God. Not once did he say, we were surrounded on all sides and Sennacherim wrote me a letter and I spread that letter out in that temple, the temple right there, right there, I was in that temple and God miraculously delivered us. Nope, that's not how the conversation went. It was, look at me, look at us, look what we've accumulated. You see, peace and prosperity in our lives sometimes gives rise to self-sufficiency. And now we end with where we began. Remember what Hezekiah did to the idols of Israel? He removed, he smashed, he cut down. But he didn't remove, smash, or cut down one specific idol, and that is the idol of money. And the same is true for you and I. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Money isn't bad, but we have all experienced how it hinders and how it entangles. And at the risk of meddling, perhaps it is money and the accumulation of money and the desire for more money that you need to spread out before the Lord and ask him to supernaturally intervene and to deliver you from that. God, I pray that wealth won't blind our eyes and the desire for more, that we never put that ahead of you. Jesus, could you be Lord over our finances? And so Spirit, we spread that out before you. Let money not be our God. Prayer isn't the only thing we can do, but giving this to you is the very first thing we should do. Help us do that in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. If you are in the Fresno Clovis area, we are having a party, um, this trunk or treat, and we've got inflatables and face painting and uh, uh, food trucks and lots and lots of candy and a costume competition and all kinds of fun things for the whole family. So come on out from 10 to 12 at Bullard High School here in Fresno. Next week, we begin a brand new sermon series called Bias. We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are, and we can't wait. We hope you have an amazing week. Grace and peace in Ukraine.